Welcome to Lead On, a program where we talk about practical issues of ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my role every week to talk with you about practical issues involved in ministry leadership. I'm talking about the practical challenges of pastoral leadership, uh, executive leadership, lay leadership, like being an elder or a deacon or some similar role in a church, the challenges of ministry leadership. Now, this program is a teaching program, but it's not really a preaching show. I don't spend a lot of time going verse by verse or anything like that. I do that in other contexts. But here, we really focus on what I like to call an application approach. We talk about bringing Christian principles and biblical insights to the practical issues of what it means to deal with leadership challenges every day. Today, I want to talk about a common problem That's really hard to admit, sometimes hard to talk about, but essential for effective leadership. And that is, I want to talk about overcoming leadership mistakes. Yes, leaders make mistakes. I've been in Christian leadership for about 40 years, and I've stopped counting a long time ago the number of mistakes that I've made. Bad decisions about money, about hiring different people, about programming, Uh, bad decisions, one after the other, for 40 years. You may wonder, well, how have you remained in leadership? Well, because the hard reality is every leader makes mistakes. And oftentimes, it's not the mistakes that undermine our effectiveness. It's what we do after we've made the mistake that determines whether we're able to continue in our leadership roles and responsibilities. So today, I make the big assumption that Christian leaders, despite their best efforts, despite God's leading, uh, despite their every intention of doing right in every situation, Christian leaders make mistakes. And I want to focus the rest of the program now on what you do afterwards, overcoming leadership mistakes. The first principle that's so important and the first step to take when you've made a mistake is to take full responsibility for your actions. Now, take responsibility sounds too basic for lofty leaders in significant roles, but no matter our stature, or perhaps even because of our stature, we struggle to take responsibility for our actions, especially when they have painful consequences. You know, the devil likes to whisper, pass the buck, let someone else take the fall. You're the victim here. But blaming others is a surefire recipe for lost leadership effectiveness, in the least, or even lost leadership opportunity at the worst. A few years ago, I worked within about a six-week time frame with two different ministers in two separate incidents who were guilty of moral failure. And the responses of these two ministers were diametrically opposite. One came forward took full responsibility for his actions, blamed no one else, offered an immediate resignation, and asked for nothing from his church. The other man blamed his wife for his sins, stonewalled the resignation process, created a gossip backdraft to try to undermine the church leaders who confronted him, and then threatened legal action if he was terminated. He refused to make any kind of public statement about his departure from his leadership role, and opposed those who rightly confronted him and removed him from his position. Sadly, his marriage ultimately failed, 
and his leadership role was lost. Now, there are a number of differences in these two situations, and if we had time and it was appropriate, I could go through them in more detail. But the two situations had one striking difference between them. The first man took responsibility for his actions and demonstrated humility through the resignation process and through all of his response to his situation. Because of this, his church responded with significant support for him and for his family. And today, and I just checked on this recently, today, that former minister is a committed lay leader in the same church, even these two decades later. His marriage is intact and healthy. Now, the other leader, not so much. Sad story. He lost his leadership role. He lost his marriage. And life came unraveled for him. For many reasons, yes. But at the core, his recovery was thwarted. Forgiveness was stymied. Restoration impossible because he refused to take responsibility for his actions. So step one in effectively dealing with a leadership mistake, whether it's misspending some resources, hiring the wrong person, choosing the wrong program, or some more egregious sin like a moral failure, step one is to take responsibility for your actions. Now step two. The second thing you must do is admit you were wrong. Now this follows naturally after the first, but it's really difficult because After owning up to what we've done, it's sometimes really hard to admit that we were wrong. And in the case of a bad leadership decision, that's essential, admitting that you were wrong. But what if you went beyond a bad decision and actually sinned in the process, made a sinful choice with moral or ethical dimensions attached to your bad decision? Well, in that case, it might also include confessing your sin to God and to others. And for leaders, this kind of confession may be required to repair a damaging situation. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to tell everyone in your church or put it out in some public media or in some kind of public format, but it does mean that you have to confess what you've done to an appropriate circle of people impacted by your actions. Let them know that you were wrong, that you've sinned, and that you've changed your mind about your behaviors and you're turning from them and want to make them right. Now, the hard reality is too many leaders are excessively image conscious. And I choose the word excessively carefully because all of us are image conscious and all leaders who represent churches or organizations have some sense of image consciousness. And that's not always a bad thing. But it becomes problematic when we are excessively image conscious. When we want our followers to believe we're always right. We're always in control, that we're always accurate in our judgments and decisions. We are often driven by these insecurities to present this facade of competence, I like to call it. And our humanity can't be displayed. In other words, we can't be real, lest we fear we'll lose the loyalty and respect and trust of our followers. But getting past all this, getting past all this means that we learn to take responsibility and then admit wrongdoing. These two steps are essential for developing authentic leadership relationships and for recovering from leadership mistakes. 
Someone said that I love you are the three most important words in a romantic relationship, and I'm sure they are. If I love you are the three most romantic words in a or three most important words in a romantic relationship, then I was wrong. Maybe the three most important words in establishing leadership credibility. Listen, your followers know you are not always right. They know it. They see it. And they live with your imperfections, your shortcomings, and even your bad decisions. They put up with your mistakes. The issue isn't if you will make mistakes or if your followers will notice them. The issue is, will you be transparent enough to admit your flaws, handle the consequences, and continue to lead? You know, sometimes we make bad decisions out of good intentions and out of goodwill. I did this one time. I insisted our organization adopt a budget larger than was being recommended by our finance leaders. Why? Why would I make such a recommendation and insist on such a decision? Because we had to have faith. We had to be bold and trust God to provide. Well, we adopted that larger budget, and two months into the fiscal year, you know what happened. We were already making cutbacks and revisions because I had led us to make a decision that was a bad one. Now, this decision was fairly easily resolved. I took responsibility, admitted that what we had done wasn't going to work, and asked my team to help me create a plan to go a new direction. But some decisions aren't so easily resolved. In those cases, admitting a bad decision may also involve confessing sin and admitting that there was a moral or an ethical dimension to what you did wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that every bad leadership decision is necessarily sinful. I don't think that my budget fiasco was necessarily sinful. It was a well-intended decision that I thought was in the best interest of the organization and I thought was rooted in my capacity for faith and growth and trust in God in that moment. But other decisions I've made have been much more full of pride or arrogance or greed or self-promotion. Man, it's hard to admit that, but some of my decisions have masqueraded in holier-than-thou words and attitudes, but really were masking some sinful choices on my behalf. Now, this kind of leadership mistake, when there's been a bad decision compounded by a sinful choice, can only be made right by confessing sin and moving on. Now, confession is usually a private matter between you and God. But what happens when the sinful actions are public or when they harm or affect other people? Well, in those cases, you have to confess the sin in the circle in which it was committed. For example, a few years ago, I exploded in anger in a committee meeting. I was really not having a good day, and some things were said that set me off and Not only did I say some harmful words, but I said them in really hateful, uh, cutting ways. Well, I got up and walked out of that meeting, and before I even got to my office, I knew that what I had done was wrong. I knew I had not only made a leadership mistake, but I had sinned against the people in that meeting because my actions had an ethical dimension that was really inappropriate for a leader in my role. So what did I have to do? 
Well, I not only had to ask God to forgive me, but I had to confess what I had done to that pe- to those people in that committee and ask each of them to forgive me and to make those relationships right again. Now, this is very important to remember. When a leader makes a mistake, they confess that or that, 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 that involves a sinful choice. They have to own the mistake and confess the sin, but only in the scope in which it was committed. So, for example, in this case, I didn't write a blog or preach a sermon or put some innocuous statement out on social media. No, I went directly, one-on-one, to the five or six people that were on that committee, and I told them what I, that what I had done was wrong. I asked them to forgive me, and that I asked them if we could move on together. So let's hit a few highlights on what it means for a leader to engage in this process of admitting mistakes and confessing sin. First, confess your sin without including others. Remember, you're always confessing your sins, not the sins of others. For example, I have a pastoral friend who had to confess to misusing some church funds, and when he did that, he didn't include the names of the people he spent the money on or uh, that he was entertaining or anything like that. He just simply said, uh, I should not have spent this much money on this activity, and it's my fault, and I'm sorry. Second, you have to confess the sin only in the scope in which it was committed. I've already illustrated this by the committee story that I just told you. If you lash out in anger with two or three of your team members, go to them personally and deal with it there, not in a staff meeting or an elders meeting, but in the context of where the sin was committed. And then finally, confess your sin as personally as possible. Don't don't do it uh, uh, through a text or a phone call, or excuse me, a text or an email. Do it in person if possible, or by phone or by video call if you can't meet with the person. Make it as personal as possible. You know, the reason for this is because so much of our communication is is, uh, nonverbal, and when people see in your eyes and see in your tone or hear in your tone and see in your facial expression the genuineness of what you're trying to say, it communicates sometimes even more than the words. Now, public confession like this, even in a small group of people, is not a common event for a leader, but it can be an important spiritual discipline for repairing spiritual damage and relational trust. When you say, I was wrong, or I am wrong, and you say, and I sinned against you, most people will forgive you and continue to support you as a leader. You know, genuine confession coupled with real repentance leads to forgiveness and and restoration. That's what we do in the Christian community. And leaders must learn to model this well so that their followers see what it means to lead with this kind of integrity. Now, the third step after uh, uh, taking uh, responsibility for your actions and uh, confessing your or admitting your mistake and confessing your sin, the third big step is to accept the consequences of what happens next. You know, only in Hallmark movies does everyone live happily ever after. Leadership mistakes always have consequences. Now, sometimes those consequences are severe. They result in termination from a specific leadership position or maybe even in egregious cases, disqualification from any future leadership role. And while those kinds of mistakes do have those kinds of serious consequences, most mistakes don't. Most leadership mistakes can be overcome and most negative consequences can be managed. Now, leadership mistakes Uh, are always difficult to manage, 
And they're always troublesome and hard for a leader to acknowledge and to work through. But remember this, most people do not want to change their leaders, do not want to replace their leaders, do not want to demote their leaders. Most people want their leaders to remain in place and succeed. So when you make a mistake and you take responsibility for it and you admit what you've done, and in some cases you confess the sin that may have been attached to it, there's going to some some come some consequences flowing back to you. Now, what kind of consequences am I describing? Well, let me give you some examples. First, one consequence may be public embarrassment. You just simply have your leadership influence diminished because of your mistakes. People see what you've done, and they're you know emotionally deflated, and they're not quite so willing to support your next decision or your next initiative. Public embarrassment, this kind of public setback. Some consequences can be costly uh, in material ways. In other words, you may have to reallocate money to recover from a bad decision by taking it from some other aspect of your ministry and putting on this recovery plan that has to be put into place. You may struggle because your donors may stop or diminish their support for a time. You may suffer some personal financial setback, a loss of compensation while the ministry recovers, or money you have to contribute to offset losses, or restitution you may need to pay. So sometimes uh, one kind of consequence is public embarrassment and loss of stature. Another kind of consequence is actually something more costly and directly costly in terms of paying back resources. These are the kinds of things that happen, but there's also some consequences that may flow to you, like diminished leadership authority. I was in one situation once where an employee, um, a a pastor had employed uh, an assistant and that person didn't stay very long. And then they employed another assistant and that person didn't stay very long. And before they went to the next assistant, the personnel team from that church met with the pastor and said, we have some concerns about your hiring practices and your hiring strategies. And we think you need some coaching, some direction, and even some supervision before you make this next hire because we can't keep selecting assistants that don't work out because they were never rightly matched or they didn't have the skill set needed for the position. So this consequence of leadership freedom, our leadership initiative, was one of the consequences that he had to deal with in that, in that setting. So these are the kinds of things I mean. I don't always mean the consequences are immediate termination or loss of salary or anything like that. It can be these lesser things, but you're all the more uh, real and still important to manage. So what are some things you can do to mitigate the pain or the difficulty of dealing with a leadership mistake? Well, first of all, uh, you know, accept the fact that these consequences are a natural part of the recovery process. You know, when you make a leadership mistake, trust has been damaged, credibility is undermined, momentum is lost, and there's nothing you can do to make this magically disappear. So accept your consequences and realize that these are some things that are just going to be worked through as trust, credibility, and momentum are restored. And then second, trust God to restore your leadership. God limits damage from painful circumstances, and he delights, he delights in restoring leaders. Now, we aren't sure of all the reasons, but Mark in the Bible was demoted as a young leader and dismissed from Paul's missionary team. You can find that story in Acts chapter 15, verses 38 and 39. We know Mark was later restored to his leadership role on at least for at least two reasons. First, 
in 1 Timothy 4.11, Paul writes Timothy and says, uh, send John Mark or send Mark to me. He's useful in the ministry. And then perhaps the greatest example of his restoration is the gospel Mark, the beginning of the New Testament. So we know that God can restore people to leadership roles and give them even greater leadership stature. Yes, as a young leader, Mark apparently made some egregious mistakes that caused him to be demoted from the missionary team, sent home, if you will. But that wasn't the end of his story. God restored him such that he became a valuable partner to Paul and he became a writer of a gospel that comes down even to our day. And then third, when you're dealing with these consequences of a bad decision or a sinful choice, allow time for healing to take place. When you've wounded another person, that wound can heal, but usually not instantly. Just like with a physical uh, uh, injury, scabs form and fall away, but scars remain. You know, leadership scars aren't as visible, but they're nonetheless real and They remind us of past events and what we've learned through the pain and how God has sustained us. So when you make a leadership mistake and you take responsibility for it, admit your mistake or confess your sin, and those consequences flow back over you, allow time for healing to take place. Realizing that while the scars will be permanent assets in your leadership experiences, portfolio, if you will, those leadership scars will be a reminder of not only what you did, but of the forgiveness God extended and the forgiveness Christian people extended. And then I would just add this. When I look back over my life of leadership, my leadership scars, more than my successes, are the sources of my most effective life messages, including this program today. I first started teaching on this subject because I had made mistakes and I was trying to think through the best and biblical ways to respond. So take responsibility. Admit what you've done. Confess sin if it's part of that issue. Accept the consequences of what's happened. And then finally, and very importantly, move on. For many leaders, the most perplexing part of a leadership mistake is how to put it behind you and move on. You take responsibility, admit you are wrong, confess your sin, receive forgiveness. You should be finished with the issue, but it hangs over you. Those consequences linger and have to be worked through. But even when they're resolved, you still feel this sense of foreboding, this sense of condemnation, that something's still not quite right. Listen, the mistake has been addressed. The issue has been resolved. It's time to move on. I challenge leaders to do this. I challenge you to learn the discipline of failing fast. You know, when you make a mistake, just admit it, own it, confess it, take your consequences, and move on. Learn to fail faster, meaning that you acknowledge your mistakes more quickly, that you work through this process I've described in this show today uh, more intentionally, and then you move on. That's what I mean by learn to fail fast. Don't gloss over a mistake, but don't dwell on it either. Moving on means you stop talking about the mistake, release yourself from false guilt and condemnation that the devil and others who are his agents want to put on you, 
and you take initiative to head in a healthier direction. Leaders make mistakes. It is inevitable. Learning to handle those mistakes is a vital skill in ministry leadership. Put these steps into practice with your leadership mistakes. Watch God bring healing, restoration, and progress as you move on. And you can do it as you lead on.